You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Happy Easter still. You all did amazing last week, boy. I was so happy with Salem last week. Our worship team, the dance ministry, the children did such an amazing job. And so we are starting a series for the rest of the Easter season, which is not just one Sunday, it's seven Sundays. And for the rest of the Easter season, we are starting a series called The No Drama Trauma. Have you ever met somebody who when there isn't crisis, they invent crisis? Anybody got that? (laughs) Somebody just said every day. All right, all right. I was going to say, do you have that coworker? Hopefully, it's just, a, we'll just, we'll pick on coworkers that just needs maybe an extended family member, a third aunt once removed, somebody like that, who just needs to start something with a group text or a comment or a quote or a post online. And then it's like, things were fine until you open your mouth. There's a reason why we do this. Our crisis muscles are strong. We've been through it just take 2020 until now, we've been through some crisis. We've had 48 renovations downstairs because water does not like this church very much. I was getting ready for church when Jacqueline came in and said, hey, Ian's on the phone, and it was like eight. And it's never good. If you're a pastor, you don't want to hear from anybody after eight o'clock on a Sunday. When John Laurent calls my phone and it's ringing at 8 30 I'm like God I can't sing please help us in the name of Jesus please help us John what is it I hope everything's like pastor I just wanted to let you know we're praying for you this morning oh thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Ian calls I don't answer because I'm getting ready I'm in the spirit (laughs) Jack he calls Jacqueline and now we know he's a pastor a pipe burst in the church and the downstairs the one that we just spent three hundred thousand dollars on is flooded again And I made every decision that needed to be made in like two and a half minutes. Remember this? Everything. Why? Because our crisis muscles are strong. We know what to do. We've gotten good at what to do when there's an earthquake, when there's a storm. But when things are chill, we freak out. We don't know what to do with ourselves when everything is fine. Like I said uh, last week, a few weeks ago, Jacqueline and I got the kids where everything was ready. We were ready 30 minutes before Sophia had to leave for school. We were wandering around our house like lost children in the woods. Looking, we, like, I'm like, what are we doing? She's like, I don't know. I said, we're on time. We don't know what to do when we're on time. We're aimlessly walking about like zombies right now. We can sit. And then you sit and you're like, what's going to go wrong? Where's Theo? Where's Sophia? They're here. There must be a burglar in the house. Is there going to be an explosion? Something's going to happen. You, we, we, we have this almost weird vibe when things are chill. And so, you know, there's been so many sermons, and I've preached tons of messages about what to do when we're in crisis, when things are going wrong, when you're in a storm. And I thought, you know, we're really good at learning how to keep planting and keep waiting and keep planting and keep waiting, but are there sermons out there for what to do when things go well? Are there disciplines out there for what to do when things start to go well? So look at the person next to you and say, things are going to start to go well. 
Is anybody upset by this? Look at the person next to you on the other side and say, so watch out. Don't mess it up. Let's talk about what to do when harvest shows up so that we can have another one next year. Amen? Let's talk about what to do when things get peaceful and so we don't overcapitalize on it and try to get too much out of it, but can enjoy and be content and thankful in a moment when things are quiet. Imagine things being good, and then you get to have them stay good for a little while because you didn't try to do too much when it was good. And I want to say this. God allows seasons of peace to happen within us to strengthen us for either the storm we're in in another area of life or a storm that is coming. So God gives us moments of peace in ourself, in our home, in our circumstances, not at the absence of other areas that are shaking. Sometimes you got peace in one area and a lot of chaos in another. Sometimes everything is peaceful and you know another storm is coming because that's what weather does. And so God gives us moments of peace to strengthen us for storms. One of my very best friends, Father J.P. Robles, whose wife did an amazing job giving us a video sermon on Good Friday, he said this, life going well is viewed best as a fullness and not a direction. Life going well is seen best as a fullness, not a direction. When we hear that things start to go right, one of the first things we do is we think my whole life is now pointing in this right direction, and now everything is going to be going right. JP talks about good times, peace, well-being as something that happens in you. The way he phrased it was, you can be going well even when everything else is not. You can be going well even in the middle of a storm, even in the middle of tragedy, even in the middle of all kinds of upheaval, you could be going well. And he says, God is so much more concerned with me going well than circumstances going well. Because circumstances, the just and the unjust, the rain falls. But we can be going well even when things are not. And so that, uh, the text that I read, the angel says, go to Galilee and there you'll meet Jesus. But then Jesus shows up on their way to Galilee and says, go to Galilee, you'll meet me. And when you read your Bible, you have to pause at a moment like that. Why did the angel say, did Jesus just condescend this angel? Angel's like, go to Galilee, you'll meet Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, they're going to meet me here, and then I'm the one who has to tell them to go to Galilee. And now there's this fight in heaven, like, I wanted to be the one to tell them to go to Galilee, and Jesus goes and gets the last word. Does that sound like Jesus? Does it? Man, you all must like to get the last word. I, I, I think that is like Jesus. I want to get the last word, and so I think Jesus gets the last word. I'll pray for your spouse if that's the case. Jesus, listen to me, interrupts their obedience. He interrupts their obedience. They're told to go to Galilee by the angel and on their way, on the right road, everybody say right road, 
on the right road, Jesus interrupts them and tells them to keep going in that direction. Next week or the week after, we're going to be talking about the road to Emmaus, which is the wrong road, and Jesus meets them on the wrong road and tells them to go back. We're used to that sermon, but this sermon is they are on the right road, and Jesus interrupts them on the right road and says, keep going the right way. What does this tell us? This tells us that at some point in our obedience, when things are going well, we still need Jesus to show up because if he doesn't, we will take everything that's going well and we will make it go wrong. So he even has to interrupt our obedience. What does Paul say? I've learned the secret of facing plenty and the secret of facing lack. I can do, say it, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What things? Lack and abundance. We just, we hear it like he says, in tough times, in lack, in poverty, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the first thing he says is, in times of abundance, it's the same thing as I need in times of lack. If I don't have Christ to strengthen me in lack, my lack is going to overwhelm me. If I don't have Christ to strengthen me in my abundance, my abundance will kill me faster. Our blessings will destroy us if Jesus is not interrupting our association with our blessings. The golden calf, everybody knows this, the golden calf was made out of the gold that God blessed them with when they were in Egypt. Our blessings, the good, evil attaches itself to the good in our life better than the bad because we can discern the bad. But when we start thinking that the good isn't tainted by anything, we have a problem. So Jesus interrupts their obedience. When, when Joseph's brothers came to meet him, well, when Joseph's brothers came to buy grain from him and he revealed that he's Joseph, the one that they threw into a pit, he says, go and get my father. And he says something very interesting. They're like, oh my gosh, it's you. Thank you for forgiving us. All this stuff, they're crying, they're weeping, they're hugging. He says, go get my dad. I really want to see dad. And then Joseph says this, don't fight on the way. Because the road of obedience is one of the most dangerous roads we can be on. When you're making the right choices, when things are going well in life, all of our guard can be let down because it's cool. We can leave the doors open. It's wonderful. And so G Joseph has to prophetically say, don't argue on the way. I know you guys. When you're all on the same page, I know firsthand what happens when you're all on the same page, and even worse, when you start fighting. When you started fighting, I got sold into slavery. So do me a favor. Please don't fight on the way, because there's a unity. I'm going to keep going. The Tower of Babel. What does God say? Now that they're all unified, nothing will be impossible for them. Well, that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? No. He goes down and confuses their language because there's a unity that leads to peace, and there's a unity that leads to all the isms our world has been fighting ever since. So sometimes he has to disrupt our obedience because when we're in crisis, we're thinking about him. But when it's going really well, we go on autopilot and don't see the attack coming and don't realize that we're veering off course. So 
when Jesus is standing in the garden, there's a lot of prophetic things happening because everything Jen just said, by the way, she did a wonderful job leading worship this morning. And let's just put our hands together for Stephanie, who's taking a well-needed break this morning. She deserves it. However, we don't let John take breaks. So we're happy you're here, John. One of these days. We love you, John. When he rose from the dead and he's in the garden, Mary thinks that he's the what? The gardener. And you've heard me say this before. Adam's first job was to work and tend the Garden of Eden. And so it would make sense that the first Adam didn't do the best job working the garden. And so the last Adam, when he raises from the dead, steps into the vocation of the first Adam, and he's working in a garden again. That's pretty cool. But there's something else. He's the good shepherd. He's the good king. Why is he showing up as a gardener? Here's something he wants us to know on Easter Sunday. It's almost the first detail. It may be the first detail about his appearance is that on Easter Sunday, he is seeming like a gardener, which means it can only mean he's doing something in the garden, like planting or weeding or pruning. Again, if people at your job tried to go behind your back and make you look bad, and in the process of that, you ended up getting promoted, I'm pretty sure all of us would be in their face right away. Amen? Am I the only one? Salem, you're, don't lie to me. We love those moments. Oh, if they could only see me now. Like, we love those moments. Jesus raises from the dead, and he's like, I'm going to go to Pilate, and then he's like, oof, that flower doesn't look like it's, let me start working on it. And he stays where no one's going to see him. And he's going to work on creation. How unbelievably humble is that? That the first plant he sees gets the attention of the risen Lord coming out of the tomb on Easter Sunday. How much more is he paying attention to everything in your life that needs to be uprooted, replanted, taken care of? He's a gardener. Why? Because our life on this side of eternity is about cultivating, not finality. Without realizing it, you might think this isn't you. I'm telling you it is. We all have this silent voice in our mind that thinks there's going to be a day when we get there in this life. You might think sometimes, what is this all for? What is all the struggle for? When is the moment? You might not verbalize it, but somewhere in there, it's like, when, when's the moment when we can say, yes, we this is why we did all of that. That moment, his name is Jesus, and we will have it when he returns. That's when we will look, when we look at him, we will say, this is what I've been working for my whole life. Until then, it's cultivating, not finality. It's a slow process of cultivating and caring for each detail on its own, one at a time. And when we get into crisis or when we get into times of harvest, we want to just start skipping through, and it's cultivating. He shows up on Easter Sunday as a gardener to remind us that he's moving that slow and that carefully, you ready, and that attentively in our life. 
because we're not going to reach finality yet. So, what are some ways, what is some no drama trauma that we could get ourselves into? How is it possible for us to mess up a season that seems to be going well? Well, the, one of the ways is we have to learn how to enjoy a part of our life that's going well, even if another part of our life is not. We have this sense that I can't enjoy one thing until everything becomes enjoyable. My parents did this to me with my report card growing up. B, 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 I was a solid B student. B, D, what happened? Can you focus on the line of Bs, please? Why is the whole report card tainted? Bill Dandriano, I got a D so that my initials could be on it. That's why. You know how much effort that took to do on purpose? We have this sense that everything, I wish I thought of that back then, that would have been dope. Man, God gives you all the goodies afterwards, thanks. If the whole thing is ruined because one thing is going wrong, our ability to worship is kind of unstable and a little disoriented, right? And so we, this isn't one of our points, but like when something is going well, celebrate it. It's okay, that, that celebration of something going well in one area is gonna give you strength for the areas that aren't going well. That's just a free one. The rest of this is like $15 per person per point, so. First, the first trauma when things start to go well, using peaceful time to unwind but not repair. Using peaceful time to unwind but not repair. In Colossians, it says on Easter Sunday, it was one of the texts that our children read, now that Christ has been risen, put to death what is earthly in you. Now that Christ is risen... Put to death what is earthly in you. Said differently, now that things are going really well, start working on the things in you that aren't. So we have this tendency to work on ourselves when things are going terribly. Jacqueline and I, we do this to each other all the time. We start arguing, and the argument goes from like bickering to like a three-day ordeal that keeps coming up every once in a while. And I have this tendency of saying, you know what you need to be working on right now, hun? Which again, if I'm ever found dead, I did it to myself, 100%. And we'll, we'll do this to each other and we'll say, this isn't the time to bring it up. Well, when is? Maybe let's talk about this when things are going better. I don't want to talk about it when things are going better. But look what happens when Jesus is calling some of his disciples in Matthew 4, 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, doing what? Doing what? Mending their nets. Where do you think they were when they were mending their nets? Presumably on the seashore? Did they start mending their nets in the middle of a storm? Probably a terrible idea. You know what you need to do in a storm? Row. Bail water. Don't worry about, the, well the nets have a hole in them. Well, the boat might soon. So let's get this thing to the shore where it's safe and then we can work on the damage. But we have a tendency to try to work on the damage in the middle of a storm 
And then when things go well, we avoid repairing the damage that the storm caused because we want to unwind, but we don't want to repair. And that causes its own trauma in our life. God gives us calm seasons so that we can mend the nets that were torn during seasons of struggle. So when it gets good, use that time to revisit the bumps and bruises of past difficult times. Because at that moment, when things are going good, you have the stamina, you have the emotional capital. How many know there's not just a recession for money, there's a recession for emotional capital? Am I the only one? Like, Lord, I used to have an abundance. Where'd it go? Actually, I don't think I ever did have an abundance, but whatever, I made it seem like I did. Where'd it go? It feels like, it feels like life, it's not just eggs that are more expensive. It seems like situations cost more emotionally the same way that regular goods cost more money. So when times are good and you have that tank of gas that you need, that's the time to go watch film. That's the time to go back and say, hey, when we were struggling, every time Jacqueline and I can get away, whether it's for a weekend at Cape Cod or Connecticut or Mystic, just whether it's just a one-day drive because we have amazing parents and in-laws who watch our children for us in the name of Jesus, thank you for them. The minute we start to drive and get away, all of a sudden it's like, hey, so first of all, a few weeks ago we had this talk. First of all, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry too. Here's what was really going on in me when that happened. It's like we have this amazing conversation every time. You assess better, you mend nets better when you're not in survival mode. So when it's good, don't just drink up all of that goodness in an unwinding fashion, but also save some of that good, stable time for repair. Amen? Amen. Okay. Amen. I mean, you can ultimately do whatever you want. I'm just saying this might work. <laughs> Another trauma. The trauma. Using peaceful time to spend, not give back from our returns. So this is the trauma of using peaceful time to spend and to not give back from our returns. What do I mean by this? When things go bad, we become high maintenance and we need people. Amen? And I'm saying that as the way God created us. If things are going bad and you're not calling on people, it's actually not bad. It's really, 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 really bad. When things get bad, we are designed by God to only have them get better if we call on people. If we refuse to be needy, we will never heal, and the people around us will never be strengthened. Isn't that such a positive point? Who loves to be needy? Right? But why did Jesus need help carrying his cross? If not to validate that when things go wrong, we don't have the grace to get through it on our own. No one in this room, including me preaching, has more capital than Jesus, and yet he opened his life up to need help. He got needy on his way to Calvary, and it strengthened Simon. Jesus' neediness brought Simon into a moment that his life conceived in a dream couldn't have thought of. 
that he would get the stains of Jesus' actual blood on his clothing and help the Son of God, creator of the universe, bring his vision to fulfillment. Now that sounds scandalous to say, but that is what God is revealing in the moment where Jesus needed help is that when things go wrong, you have to need people. To be in his image means to do what he did. And what he did was call on people. Peter, James, and John, please pray for me. Could you not wait with me? Could you not last an hour in prayer? My soul is in bitter anguish to sorrow. He's asking people to pray for him. He's needing help carrying his cross. He's saying, I thirst. John 4, give me a drink. He's revealing that a life where you never need people is a life not lived in the image of God. But that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) What we're talking about today is when it goes bad and you need people, and then it starts to go good, if when it goes good we ghost those people who we needed when it was going bad, we're creating trauma because there's no drama. When there's drama, I need you. But when you buoy me up and get me up out of the water and onto dry land and you help me dust off my clothes and you help me get back on my feet, if all of a sudden you don't hear from me or see from me anymore, if I'm high maintenance when it's going wrong and nowhere to be found when it's going right, something I'm handling my peaceful season wrongly. Watch this. This is touching. Matthew 15, 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Everybody say Rufus. To carry his cross. Simon was in Jerusalem for Passover, and he had his two boys with him, Alexander and Rufus. And the three of them are thrown by the Roman soldiers into the road. And these two boys watch their dad link up with this criminal and carry his bloody, sweaty cross to Calvary. Let's say 15 to 25 years later, at the end of the book of Romans, Paul says this, greet who? Ian, there it is. Greet who? Chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Rufus. The history of the church will tell you that Rufus became one of the first bishops in the Christian church, the son of Simon of Cyrene. This man helps Jesus carry his cross, and after he dies, after Simon of Cyrene dies, Rufus becomes a pastor in the early church And his mom takes care of the Apostle Paul. When Jesus is needy and you help him, he gives back. He gives back in ways you can never possibly imagine. Simon helped him carry his cross, and Jesus brought salvation to Simon's children. When people help you and your life turns and it's going well, the first people that should benefit from your new, now going well life should be the people who picked you up when it wasn't going well. (laughs) 
We shouldn't just spend our good seasons on ourselves. We need to make sure that we are the kind of stock market that when people invest in our life and things start to turn around, they get a dividend, they get a bonus. Because when things start to turn around in my life, the first people I'm coming for are the people who were there for me when there was no money, when there was no energy, when there was no ministry, when there was no anointing, when there was no position, when there was nothing but stressed out me. They should be able to receive the goodness of your life that they helped get. So if it's going well, even in an area of your life, if something is going well, make sure that somebody else that helped you can benefit from that area going well in your life. So trauma one is using peaceful time to unwind but not repair. When it's peaceful, enjoy, relax, Sabbath, but also use that stability to go back and mend the nets. When it's peaceful, think about who helped you survive when it wasn't and bless them. And I'm not talking about money. Money's good, but so is thank you. You think thank you is cheap. These days, it's on people's mind, for better or for worse, how much they've given and how little they've been thanked. Let's be different. Thank people. Thank people. You're, you're tight with money. This is a story somebody told me this week. I'm tight with money. I go to the store. I didn't have enough money on me. And the cashier said, look, I'll take care of the rest of it. Take this. When things get better, go back to that cashier and thank them to their face. That in a world where people hate their jobs, somebody had the wherewithal to notice a human being at the store. Go back and thank them. When life was going crazy and things were stressful and you went to the diner to get lunch just to take a break and the waiter or waitress treated you with respect and dignity and made you feel better, please go back and thank them. Go back and thank them. I'm not, th that's, those are things that we can easily miss. When people here pick you up off the ground and they're with you at midnight and their phone is always ringing and they're answering on the first or second ring when things are going wrong in your life, and you can name right now. There, you know how many people in this room right now can say, thank you, Mike and Claire Amandia, for everything that you've ever done in my entire life? Right? I've done a few different things for Ron and Essie. They're, the people in their life know who they are and are excited about their life, and they give back to those people. We need to be that way. Don't just be high maintenance when it's going wrong and then ghost everybody when it's going right. Let them know that it's going right because of them. If Jesus is willing to do it, we should as well. And the final one, the text that was read today, the final trauma, using peaceful times to compare and not give thanks. You've heard me say this before. Slightly different spin today. Mary is at the tomb, staring into the emptiness, and everybody else runs away. All the men run away, and a woman stands, anchored by her tears, staring into death and she stays. When she notices, when Jesus notices her, and she realizes that it's Jesus, she clings to him. And Jesus says, don't 
cling to me. Why? Hundreds of reasons. One being, Jesus is saying, I'm not the Jesus I was on Thursday. I'm going to be so new and so different and so like anything you've ever experienced that if you cling to who I was before the cross, you'll miss who I am for you now. Because we have a tendency to want the thing that is going right to be right like the last time that thing went right. So we'll have a great season in our marriage, and then it'll get rocky, and then it'll start to get good again. And when it gets good again, we go back to that time that it was good before, and we say, if it's not like that, then I can't enjoy it now. We compare our last good time in any area to this good time. And we lose our thanksgiving and our contentment because of it. We remember to replace, not remember to give thanks. We want to re- we, our flesh wants to remember the way it was so that we can replace the way it is with the way it was. We're supposed to remember the way it was so we can say thank you for it. Good and bad. Amen? How many are stronger because of terrible things that have happened previously? Amen? Thank him. Thank him for those times. Remember them for Thanksgiving, but not for replacement. What's going right now, say thank you. Don't cling to what was. But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I never thought about this until I was driving here this morning. He wasn't just saying, I'm going to be different than I was. He was saying, Mary, don't cling to the way that you were before Friday. You are so much more healed than you ever thought you could possibly know. You know why? Because you stayed at that tomb and stared into it. What does that mean? That means that all the other good times she had strengthened her to outlast the storm when it was happening. All the other good times that she had gave her the grace to be the last woman standing at that tomb. The last part. She had enough in her from previous good times to stay locked into her hope, her destiny, her calling, her promises, everything Jesus had ever said, buried deep down, treasured in her heart. She had the ability to stand there because she was just burning fuel from all those other good times that it gave her. And then the minute she empties out and is like, I'm going to go home, she turns around and bumps into Jesus, and now she's filled again for the next tomb that she's got to stare into. So all of your previous good times, they were fuel to get you through the storm you're in, and when that storm ends, that'll be fuel to get you through the next storm that you're going to go through. But if we're comparing previous good times to current ones, we won't be driving the car. We'll just be staring at the gas gauge. Who cares if you're not driving it? Let's stand to our feet this morning. Every Every Sunday morning, and whether he's watching now or he's going to watch later, I talk to one of the most dear, special, the kind of person, you know how that person in your life where the minute you start talking about them, you want to cry? Like, my, my cousin Brett Cianci is one of my absolute most favorite people ever since we were little kids. Uh, we spent countless, countless amounts of hours together. And I, uh, he, he's gone through so much, and, and he's been so strong through it, and his life is every day. It's a miracle, and he's proud, and he's 
married and he's a dad and he's got an amazing job in the city and he's just he's he's come through so much and he's such a motivating powerful person to know he's like one of those people who are like the minute he's in a room the room knows he's in the room like one of those kinds of people and I talked to him we talk about everything we talk almost every day via text early in the morning when we're both getting up and I'm getting ready for my job and he's getting ready for his and I was th this message by the way was the one I was supposed to preach last week so I didn't have to prepare a message this week which was nice and I was telling him about it and I was talking to him about this last point about comparing goodness from our past to goodness now and uh, he, he's, he had a lot to say about it and then he texts me this he says this and Ian can put it up on the screen he said life is not apples to apples it's more like a basket of summer fruit he said stop comparing it it's more like a basket of summer fruit and he said and it's really there for other people to enjoy the goodness of what's going right in your life I said dude I'm quoting you the theologian, Brett Ferdinando Cianci. And I just thought that was a perfect way to end because what Jesus is saying to Mary is, your life is now like a basket of summer fruit. You have something to offer the next person you see. Go. And the minute he texted it to me, I just felt like there's so many people here watching online. Were you, okay, God save me. But there's nothing in that basket. There's so much in that basket. You don't need to make another right decision to have something to offer to the world around you when you leave here today. You have the fruit of the womb, Jesus, in your life. You have more fruit than you could possibly imagine, more good than you could possibly offer, and it's the kind of good that when you offer it, it's not like you have any less, because it's him. You're tired. Life is banging you up a little bit. Maybe there's a moment where you're like, oh, I could finally get some air. And then you think it's just going to go away again. Good or bad, light or dark, storm or peace, you have so much that you're leaving here with. You will never be empty if somebody in your life needs something from you. You don't have a word in you that's not worth speaking to somebody. You have insight, you have wisdom, you have a prophetic word, you have understanding. The only person that's gonna make you think you don't, it's not even the devil, he's not good enough to make you think that you don't have something good, only you are. We're better than Satan sometimes. We give him a day off often. He can't show me that I don't have something good in me, but I can show me that I have nothing good in me. Remind yourself that you are walking around with a basket of summer fruit all the time. Our old youth pastor years ago, Dan Underhill used to say, when the spirit is in you, it's like, this was back in the day. It was like the water fountain that you press and he's like, something will always come up. Something will always come up. Don't think you have nothing. And if you know that you do, don't think that your actions got it. It's a gift, which means you can't be bad enough to not have fruit in that basket and you can't be good enough to have produced your own. It's there because of a gift.
It's there because Jesus says over your life every day, let there be and there is. That's why. That goodness has a way of rising up inside of us, not just when things are good, but even when things are not. Only Jesus could take this night and speak life into it. So if you heard this message, and if you're going to say, oh my gosh, he's going to talk about this for five more weeks, nothing's going well. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about when things go well, how to keep it going well. And if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I can do this because nothing is going well, we're always going to end with this. This meal says that when nothing is going well, you can be going well, even when nothing is. On the night when you were betrayed, Lord Jesus, when it all went wrong, you were filled with thanksgiving. And you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you come to the table, eat this bread in remembrance of me. And so Salem, for 2,000 years, the church has been saying, when you eat this bread, you bring into your body the seed that sprouts under any conditions in you bread for the journey, a river of life. So even if it's not going well, even if this message is for you in five years, this meal says, even when it's not going well, you can be going well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And descend on us also, forgive us of our sins, and anoint us for the task of the ministry this week to live in a way that brings glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, you can come forward from the back to the front and receive the bread of life this morning as our worship team ministers. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.